This is Sandy Rios, and this is podcast, well, number seven of Sandy Rios 24-7. And we have something really special in store for you today in this podcast, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm just telling you. It's something special and different. Uh, and before we, before we tell you about that, let me remind you that Gosh, lots of you have already figured this out. I'm amazed at the, the amount of listeners that are coming alongside of us. It's so much fun for us to see that. But uh, you can download this podcast from any of the major podcast platforms. AFR.net is our home base. AFR.net. We are a production of the American Family Association. Uh, but also you can find us on Spotify and Apple and all of those outlets. What are your favorite podcast platform is you can find us there and you of course can find us all over social media on facebook sandy rios 24 7 on twitter instagram getter truth social and youtube so and probably more some i'm forgetting but we are all over the place and you can uh, get information about the show there also we have a new website it's sandy rios com. that's sandy rios.com and one last thing uh we have been getting some really nice email, email, yeah, that too, but uh, voice messages from you. If you would like to leave a voicemail, you have a question about something about the show or a comment, you can do that by calling 662-821-2040. That's 662-821-2040. And if you'd like to send an email, you can do that to sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. So now the thing is, we have a special guest today. We're going to introduce him in just a minute. But his name is Dr. Erwin Lutzer. I'm going to introduce him properly in a little bit. But right now, let me just say that he has been, he was my pastor for years in Chicago. He's well known across the world. Uh, And um, He's a pretty special guy, right, Bruce? My husband, Bruce, is joining me. He's as special as it gets. He's a really amazing <laughs> character, isn't he? He really is. I, I've never met anyone like him. I haven't either. And uh, you know what? How did you meet Dr. Lutz or Sandy? Well, you know, I used to do a lot. Of, I was a singer, and so I met him in the course of singing, but I don't think he knew me at all, to tell you the truth. I knew him for years, and I don't think he knew me. And I, the, I remember our first real encounter. I was doing a concert for Moody Church in Lincoln Park, and I had a live band, and we had a stage set up, and we had all of this equipment, sound equipment, working on generators. And so we, we uh, every every member of the band was there and all set up except for my the guy that played keyboard for me, Larry, who's such a dear friend. He's driving in from Milwaukee and he didn't show, and he didn't show, and he didn't come, and it's getting closer. And so I, in those days, did live concerts with a band, but I also had done recordings, so I had taped like orchestral tracks, but I wasn't going to do those. I was singing with the band. So Dr. Luther comes over. I'm sitting under a tree. And there's audiences out there, and the stage is set up, but there's no Larry. And so he says to me, folds his arms, "Um, Sandy, have you thought about what you might do if Larry doesn't show up? In in a way only he can say it. Like, I'm not trying to be on you, but you, you better get this so figured this out. This is Dr. Erwin Lutzer talking to me. You know, he was like this, this huge, larger-than-life figure. So I pulled out my little case, and I planned 10 minutes till we were to begin. I planned an entirely different concert. We're talking about an hour, hour, 15 minutes, completely different songs. And we jumped up on stage, still no 
Larry. And so the, the, the big, but the guys in the band stood behind me ready to go in case Larry, you know, showed up. And so and he'd never not done this. So there was a problem we knew. So they, the orchestra starts and I'm singing. And all of a sudden in the park, I see this little car. He had a little bitty station wagon packed with sound equipment. And I see him driving over the grass up and down. His head is bobbing. The equipment <laughs> is jumping up and down. And I'm trying to sing this song mm. and keep my composure. And Larry made it. The, I sang that first song. The band members jumped down. They helped him load out his keyboard. We hooked him up and I did a completely different concert. <laughs> and then one last thing. In the course of that concert, the generators blew out three times and they had to repair it's the longest concert i've ever done in my life so that's how i met dr lutzer really but of course there's more to say and later of course uh we'll as time goes by we'll develop we developed a wonderful friendship and of course when you and i married well even before we married there was no way that you could not get to know him because he was so meaningful in my life do you remember what role he played in your life bruce i do um I met him through Sandy, and I will say that Dr. Lutzer was very protective of Sandy when I first met him, and I don't blame him, because here I came, some Joe, they don't know, and uh, and he and Sandy were very good friends, and I was not a believer when I first met Sandy, and we went out a few times, and she said, that's fine, you know, we can we can go out, but if we're going to do anything meaningful, you know, I'm a Christian, and I really... I knew what it was, but I really didn't know what it was, if you know what I mean. And uh, so she said, you know, what I would suggest, I was going home to Chicago, and she said, uh, you should go to Moody Church and listen to Dr. Lutzer preach and see what you think. And I went, and after about five or six weeks, what I would do is I would go every week, take copious notes, and call Sandy afterwards. She was in Washington D.C. and say, "Sandy, here's what he said today. I don't, know, I don't, I don't know about this." And she would gently guide me through it and really explain things. Not that he wasn't, but just I wasn't mature enough. And after about six weeks, I said, "This all makes sense now." And Sandy had arranged for me just to talk with Dr. Lutzer in his office. And instead of just talking to him, he ended up leading me to Christ in 2003 in his office. And so that uh, fast forward, like we've been married almost 14 years, fast forward that. And Dr. Lutzer used to ask me, uh, Sandy, because you are really like low key. You have a lot of emotion, but people don't read you that way because you're you're flat. You you don't exude, you know. And so he was trying to figure out if you had re, if it had really taken because there is scripture about the you know the the word falling on different kinds of soil, and uh, we just had this conversation with him uh, after you prayed. I said, well, what do you think, Dr. Lutzer? You think that that, that fell on fertile soil? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, he said yes. And that was just this this today is that we were saying goodbye to them, but. Um, that's how, that's what he means to us, yeah. but that's a personal story. He's, he belongs to, he belongs to the ages really. really yeah. Yes. So, yeah. but that's how we know him. And now, uh, so in just a second, like I said, we're going to do something we've never done before. And I will save that for when we actually do the opening. But meanwhile, there's no way we could do this without sponsorships. And so we are very grateful to partner with Preborn. I don't want to partner with just anyone. I want to partner with people that are actually doing something, making a difference that I can trust. And I feel that way about Preborn. One of the things that really persuades me about them is it's a Christian ministry, and it's not. It's like, like an industry, a pro-life industry. And I don't. I'll explain that on a different date. They actually really care 
about the soul and the heart of the woman and also about her uh, husband, her, the father of the child. And so over the course of saving babies' lives, they have actually won like 250,000 uh, people, uh, women, to Christ. And they've made a transformative difference deeper than just even saving the baby, which is significant. They do this through ultrasound, the saving the baby part. Uh, they do it through ultrasound, and of course it's very sophisticated. And when a, a mother who is finds out herself pregnant and uh, in the, the consternation of her circumstances thinks about terminating it once she sees this baby, she just can't seem to do it. Most women just can't terminate when they see that baby in their womb. And that's what they're in the business of doing. And so here's the deal. This is how you can help. Uh, They provide ultrasounds for women who are in crisis with their pregnancy. It's only $28 to buy. You don't buy the ultrasound, but you pay for the ultrasound. And if you uh, would like to save the life of a baby, but not only that, the the life, the soul, the eternity of the mom, uh, you can do that by $28 for one ultrasound or $140 sponsors uh, five little ultrasounds that would affect five little babies' lives. And so if you have the resources to do that, we would just really ask that you be generous. You can go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. And uh, that's how you do it. So, all right. So thanks. Uh, here we go. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. The most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness. That we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice. Not social justice, but God's justice. What's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up. Speak up. Say something. Do something. All right, this is Sandy Rios, and this is Sandy Rios 24-7. And uh, they were doing something tonight, today, whenever, the timeless moment that a podcast takes place. We're having people in our home, and uh, there's the room is filled. In fact, you guys want to say hi? hi. Oh, okay, see, the room is filled. Uh, because uh, we have a very special guest. In fact, as he was praying a few minutes ago, and I was listening in the headset, I thought, I think I'm listening to the radio. That sounds like Dr. Erwin Lutzer. But it was Erwin Lutzer. He's sitting across from me. Dr. Lutzer, it's so nice always to have you and Rebecca in our home. It's a real honor. Well, Sandy, it's so great to be with you. And of course, we have a long history. We knew you when you were in Chicago. You attended Moody Church for a time. And one of the things that I've really, really admired is the fact that you speak about the culture and you try to help believers think through issues biblically, and I know that that's what we're going to be talking about today. It is, and uh, I would just point out, Dr. Lutzer, one of the reasons, uh, you know, I still, we, Bruce and I listen to you often, even though we are so far away from Chicago, uh, but you always did merge the headlines with the scripture, and it was always relevant, and I, it, it, I don't know why pastors don't understand that that's important, and I want to ask you about that in a second, but I want to give you a proper introduction. You don't mind that, do you? 
No, not at all. Okay. So Dr. Erwin Lutzer, for those of you who've never heard of him, is pastor emeritus of Moody Church. And that's a a church that's right downtown in Chicago. I mean, it's right in the heart of Chicago. Dr. Lutzer, did we ever tell you one time, remember when the Chicago Marathon used to kind of surround Moody Church? Yes. Mm -hmm. It made it really hard to get to church. You remember that? Very difficult. So one Sunday morning, Bruce and I, when we were living there, decided that we... Well, of course we wanted to come to church, but we couldn't, the runners would everywhere, like herds of, elo, you know, like herds of horses is what I'm looking for, but we couldn't find, we could, where there's Moody Church, but we can't get there. So Bruce said, come on, he grabbed me by the arm and we got in and started running. And I was dressed up for church, and so we ran, but we ran diagonally to the other side of the street. And we heard somebody behind me go, oh, look, there's a woman running in heels. <laughs> <laughs> but we got to church, so. And you know, our radio program is called Running to Win, oh, so right. you illustrated that. <laughs> that's right, and it was well worth it to get there, too. So for 36 years, uh, Dr. Lutze, you were pastor of Moody Church. Right now you are um, on three different radio programs that are on 750 outlets and more around the world. Uh, you can hear him on Running to Win. Uh, we, um, the radio here down here in Florida, um, we hear that all the time, plus the Moody Church Hour. What's the other one? It is still Songs in the Night. Many of the oh, older course, people yeah. will remember that. It's uh, a devotional interspersed with Christian music. And if I could just add this, that in recent years, our ministry has increased. We're in 20 different countries in four different languages, and we're continuing to expand. You know, isn't it? Okay, I'm going to get us off the subject, but I just think it's wonderful. We all had doubts about the internet and media, and things just kind of have gotten out of hand, but this is the way it works so beautifully. Like, long after we're gone, if we said anything significant, God still uses it. Just continues because it's captured, you know, on, on tape or digitally or whatever. And so, certainly that's true. I hear you preaching on uh, some, you know, services where we were present, you know, 10 years ago. And it just, it's, it's just wonderful. And I thank God for that. Um, I think this would be fun. Before we get into some meat here, tell my friends and my listening friends how you came to be pastor at Moody Church. Well, I was pastor of a small Baptist church in Chicago in the north side, and uh, I resigned so that I could teach full-time at Moody Bible Institute. And we woke up the next Sunday, this would be the first Sunday of April in 1977, without a church to go to because we had had a farewell at Edgewater. I wanted to go to a different church, but Rebecca said, let's go to Moody. Now, I do have to say this. Whenever I hear the voice of God, it sounds an awful lot like Rebecca. (laughs) And so, of course, we went to Moody Church. I dropped her off. We only had two kids at that time. And I was looking for a parking space, but Sandy, you know what parking is like around Moody Church. LaSalle Street was as tight as a drum. And I told her, I'll try to find a parking spot and meet you in the lobby. Lo and behold, a person was fidgeting with his keys, walking across the street. He backs out, I back in, maybe 100 feet from the door. I go into the lobby. And I meet Rebecca, and Wearsby, who was pastor at the time, is leaving, and he has his coat on. I put my hand on his shoulder and said, Wearsby, what are you doing here? It's 10 minutes before the service. He said, Erwin Lutzer, I'm sick. I'm on my way home. I want you to preach for me this morning. (laughs) So the first time we ever attended a church uh, service at Moody Church, I preached at Moody Church, 
And Sandy, that became one of the dominoes that God set up by which eventually I would become the pastor for 36 years. So really, I want to say this to everybody who's listening. If you've ever been blessed as a result of my ministry or something I've written, give God the glory. It has really nothing to do with me. It is God's providence. It's the answer to people's prayers, and that's why all the glory goes to him. Well, certainly, uh, as being have, you having been my pastor for so many years, uh, there's preaching the word and having a nice personality, even being good with people, but there is an anointing of the Holy Spirit that you can't buy, you can't learn, and that's what you have, Dr. Lutzer. You have that the hand of God is on you, and um, when you preach, people feel it's your conduit. Sandy, could I add this, that uh, there are some people who are called to preach. They think they're called to preach, but apparently nobody is called to listen. (laughs) Well, (laughs) would that go for radio hosts too? (laughs) All right, so, okay, one more question before we get into the meat of this. All the years I've known you and listened to you and sat in sermons and listened to the radio and all of it, read your books, the thing that you, you're always in the middle of some big project, and then you say, oh, and you'll mention some other subject, and you go, I have to preach about that someday. Oh, I need to write a book about that. And your books are, in fact, how many books have you written? Actually, I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's about 35. Is that all? Yeah. If some say it's 40. I've never counted them. <laughs> I've got most of them. I don't know if I could go count real yeah. quick. But um, honestly, you never run out of ideas. But I think the question is, do you ever run out of ideas? Not yet, but then I'm only 81 years old. <laughs> you know, Sandy, when it comes to writing, it's something you have to feel very deeply. Because if you don't feel deeply that you have something to say, you're probably going to find excuses to not write. It's just like you being on the radio. The reason that you're on the radio and doing podcasts is because you feel deeply that you have something to say to people. And that's the conviction that I have. And that's why I never stop studying. I am in a project even right now where I am absolutely excited. All right. So, and that leads us to our, just what I want you to talk to us about, because I know that you've been, you just wrote a book um, it, that came out like a year ago, I think, uh, We Will Not Be Silenced. And I know that was a very successful book. It was talking about the dangers in the culture and how, and you just made a declaration that we will not be silenced no matter what they do. Uh, but you've just written another one called um, No Reason to Hide, Standing for Christ in a Collapsing Culture. And I want us to get to that in a second. But I know that you're working on something else now. So let's talk about that first. Okay, very quickly. I'm working on something that probably will be called the eclipse of God. When there's an eclipse of the sun, you know that the moon comes between the earth and the sun. Secular humanism has blocked God from America. And this actually is very scriptural. It says in the 59th chapter of the book of Isaiah, God says, your iniquities have caused me to hide my face from you. Now, God doesn't hide his face from his own people, but he does hide his face from a nation. And you know, about a year ago, there was an article in The Economist entitled, Near My God to Me. And the whole idea was that God is becoming more liberal, he's changing, and this inspired me to say, somebody has to write a book about God and show how when we no longer have God, 
how everything collapses. Very quickly, there are three streams. You know, we have to understand why it is that many of the churches in Europe, for example, are empty, the cathedrals have become mosques or bookstores, and why in Bedford, England, where John Bunyan was from, one of those churches is actually a nightclub. How did that happen? How did Christianity become the enemy in Europe? Well, three streams very quickly. One is, of course, Charles Darwin. That has to do with science, and I need to talk about that for just a moment. The other is um, Karl Marx, which has to do with philosophy and economics. And then the other is the liberal scholars of Germany who undercut the Bible, of course, disbelieving it and so forth, so that the church in Germany had nowhere to go, and this hit them, and they weren't prepared for this tsunami. And then, of course, you have Nietzsche proclaiming the death of God. And he says, you know, I can smell the grave diggers, and we have buried God. And then he asks this, I've often pondered, we have killed God, but who will wipe the blood from our hands? Now, this is so exciting when it's tied in with our understanding of Hitler and all, but we can't go there tonight. We have too much to cover. But let me say very quickly that when Darwin said, for example, that we can explain human life by all going back to a single cell and so forth. It was, as one person says, the, uh, in chemistry, you know, you have the thing that dissolves all other kinds of theories. Now, unless America gets back to God, we can expect continued chaos. Let's think about this for a moment. If we can explain creation without God, what follows? Number one, the devaluation of human life. Darwin even said that the baboon is our grandfather. So obviously, if you have a baboon as your grandfather, of course you can kill babies before they are born. Of course you can have infanticide. Of course you can have euthanasia. So that's one side of it. The other thing that happens and I could go on about this, but I know you have some questions here for me. One of the things that happens is that the created order, therefore, is destroyed. I create myself. You know, I am a man, but I want to identify as a woman, and we all have to respect that because, after all, only you know who I am. Now, in my book, No Reason to Hide, I give parents help as to what they should respond to if a child comes home from school and says, you know, mom and dad, I'm trans. This is why I have a heart to help people navigate this culture. Now, not only that, but uh, the family is destroyed and, and the created order collapses. I just thought of this, I'm sure others have. The other day I was thinking, it's very interesting that Darwinism brings human beings down to the level of animals, okay? But at the same time, you have all of this emphasis that I am God and I take the place of God, which the Bible actually predicts is going to happen. So on the one hand, it brings you down to the level of animals. On the other hand, it wants to, human beings want to say, I am in the place of God. You know, it also seems like it, uh, to me, Darwinism renders life meaningless. I mean, it what's has the to. point? Mm -hmm. What is the point of and, and you know who saw that the most clearly was Nietzsche. I wish I could talk about Nietzsche more, but again, can you, know, you we say have a few to... more? Oh, can few... I? Yes, please. Nietzsche 
put a great deal of emphasis on human nature, on nature. He did not believe that nature was fallen. Therefore, what we had to do is to emphasize nature. And who's going to win in the natural world? The strongest. Now, in order for us to get a handle on that, I want us to uh, think about something. Think about the nature of a sheep. What would a sheep like to do? Oh, there's nothing but be on a hillside with others like me, peacefully grazing. But what about the nature of a wolf? The nature of the wolf says, I'd like to take that sheep and, and uh, tear it to pieces and eat it. Now, how would you like to have a conference and say, we're getting together because what we'd like to do is to find some common ground <laughs> between a wolf and a sheep? No. So Nietzsche criticized Christianity. He cursed it because Christianity was trying to teach people to live like sheep in a world that was run by wolves. So why not let the world be run by wolves? And that's why Hitler, who, by the way, kept a copy of Nietzsche beside his bed and gave a copy to Mussolini, that's why Hitler loved Nietzsche, because Hitler says, cannot we be as cruel as nature? I mean, Darwin told us that um, it's the survival of the fittest and so forth. So let's apply that to history. And if you find six million people who you think are getting in the way of the master race, because after all, we're on a, by the way, uh, Darwinism, uh, let me put it this way, Nazism is applied Darwinism. I remember reading a chapter in Mein Kampf where Hitler basically says that, that ultimately, you know, history belongs to the strong. So you get rid of anybody who is standing in your way of bringing about the master race, because after all, we're on this evolutionary cycle. Now, people might wonder, why is it that a pastor like me is interested in these philosophers? These philosophers have shaped our world, and we need to know how we have to stand against them. You know, could you just say a word about Karl Marx? You know, Marx, people know about Marx's theory, Marx, Marx's economics, but I honestly think uh, that the world doesn't really know who Karl Marx really was. Um, All right. Well, Karl Marx actually was Jewish. Now, he was born in the Rhineland of Germany, and his father supposedly converted to Lutheranism, so he grew up, quote, Lutheran and knew Christianity. But Marx looked about and he saw all of this oppression, and oh, the relevance of this is just unbelievable. In Marx's mind, you have, of course, the bourgeoisie, and you have the proletariat. The bourgeoisie are the oppressors, and then the uh, proletariat are the oppressed, okay? Well, what has to happen is when the workers would take over, namely the proletariat, you wouldn't have anybody owning anything, and everyone would live together in peace and happiness. And the only way this can happen is by revolution, by taking away all of the people who were owners and killing them, as what happened there in Russia and China. Now, how does Marxism apply today? Think of defunding the police. Where in the world did that come from? It's Marxism that says the only reason that people do evil is they are oppressed and the police are the oppressors. So what we have to do is, you know, defund them. Why do we open jails and let these people out? Jails are oppressive. In other words, it's this idea that human nature is absolutely perfect. It's only society and it's only owners 
that corrupted. So let's get rid of the oppression. Now, is it applied to race? Absolutely. That's why you have so many people who are being judged, not according to their characters, Martin Luther King wanted us to, but rather by the color of their skin. So everybody is either an oppressor or you are oppressed, depending upon the color of your skin. And since we're on the topic and since we want to look at this biblically, I have to point out that the Bible has an answer to all this. You think of Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, where the Bible says that in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, Scythian, they were people who were marauders, barbarians, all are one in Christ. Now, did that mean that Jews became Greeks and Greeks became Jews or the barbarians became Scythians? They maintained their ethnicity, but there was a transcendent unity if they were believers. Now, we were making quite a bit of progress racially back in the 80s and the 90s because we were into racial reconciliation. Critical race theory came and destroyed all that. Now we have oppositional terms where everybody's blaming everybody else, and you have all of this um, kind of thing going on. Biblically, we really don't have a skin problem. We have a sin problem. And critical race theory keeps tearing apart everything that Jesus died to bring together. And if you want to talk about Marxist socialism, which I'd be glad to do, but I know we have to hurry on, let me just say this. It becomes a paradise for parasites. And as a result of that, it doesn't work. People don't work, get up early in the morning excited to work for the state. And so Marx totally misread human nature, and we see that seeping into our culture in so many different ways. The destruction of the family. One more comment. Marx, and especially Lenin, believed that the family had to be destroyed because it was a unit of oppression. Men oppressed their wives. Parents oppressed their children. They took them to God. In church, God was the ultimate oppressor, so all that had to be destroyed to get people out from under oppression. You know, it's interesting when you follow uh, the Marxist theory in different cultures, it's the same thing every time, but different. Uh, for instance, in China, uh, the, uh, the Mao form of communism, it was the peasants against people that owned business. People that owned business or had anything, any ownership, were the demonized. So think of it as white versus black, this was peasants versus business owners. And so they drove businesses, you know, they just bankrupted, or not people, they bankrupted people and starved them. And then, of course, um, in Russia, I think it was pretty much the same. It was, com they hated uh, the Nazis. They always had someone to be the opponent, but the idea is, of course, to turn people against each other and so that, so that nobody cooperates, to use a crisis uh, to separate and divide people. Exactly, but, you know, when it comes to... Uh to Hitler and Nazism, that also was socialism, but Hitler was smarter than that. He allowed the businesses to be run. He didn't think that they should be destroyed. It's just that he controlled them by over-regulating them. And how did they get rid of schools, faith-based schools in Nazi Germany? They over-regulated them. Men came into the school and said, oh, you have tables that are square. Well, people could hit themselves against the corners. We have a new law. All tables have to be round. All ceilings have to be, you know, three feet higher than yours. So it's regulation upon regulation and upon regulation to strangle any opposition. Could they cook on gas stoves? 
Just asking. I just thought I'd ask. Yeah, I think so. I think that uh, that whole thing we could talk about insanity yeah. on this. But on uh, but this it's term. control and regulation, though. It's with, control with the desire and regulation. To hurt, See. Yeah, the desire to bankrupt and hurt the economy so that people are dependent. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. In other, in other words, they want to destroy so that they can be the builders, and that's exactly. happening, of course, in Davos in the World Economic Forum. You know, one other thing, I just would love your thoughts about this, because I think it's really, you talked about Marx. Um, there's some great books about Marx. I know you know all about Marx, but um, in his personal life, he was filthy. He had boils. He never bathed. Uh, he never worked. He was, a, he was a leech off of some, his friend. I can't remember his name at the time, uh, right now, but Marx, had pers his personal habits, his personal life was just horrific, and many people think that he was satanic. That that has been maintained. But he started in the Lutheran Church. So then I go to Kim Il-sung. Kim Il-sung, the first uh, dear leader of North Korea, of course, came from a Christian family. And he hated Christianity. And he hated it so much that right now, even still, if you are caught with a Bible or any kind of indication that you have any interest, three generations of your family are killed. Um, so he, he has a knowledge of, of, of Christianity. Stalin, uh, did he, he went to a seminary. Uh, and then he became the most vicious communist, you know, killing and slaughtering people. What is that all about? What That often happens where some of the most evil people start with some sort of a Christian foundation. How would you explain First that? First of all, I want to say a word about Marx again. In my book, No Reason to Hide, I quote one of his poems where he says, I want to destroy this world and become equal with the creator, which really means this, that it's not as if Marx didn't believe in God. It's just that he really hated God. And God wasn't setting the world aright, and that goes for Stalin and these other guys too, so they felt called to do it. And uh, how they did it, of course, was uh, terrible, evil beyond imagination. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. This is a Sandy Rios 24-7. Sandy Rios 24-7. Let me just say that we are very grateful to Preborn for kind of launching with us here on this new podcast. Preborn is an organization that saves the lives of unborn babies with these great ultrasounds. And ultrasounds are so sophisticated now that women can actually see so much detail of their unborn baby. It's amazing. I remember, you know, decades ago when I had my children, uh, I remember when that technology came out, but they've only improved it. You can see so much. You can tell the, the gender of the baby and all kinds of things. And when women see that, 80% of them say, I cannot terminate this life. And for good reason. Uh, they realize it really is their baby, and they just get attached to it. So that's what preborn does. But what they need from us is help to pay for those uh, ultrasounds for the women that come to them, because many of them can't afford uh, what they need to afford. It's only $28 for one ultrasound. Uh, so $28 is pretty affordable for most of us, thank goodness. And of course, if you uh, want to rescue five babies, it's $140. So you can do the math on that, but it's just $28 for one ultrasound. And if you would like to help them do that, you can go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. Well, Sandy Rios back with you along with Bruce. Uh, wow, Bruce, uh, that was quite an evening. Uh, that's part one. We're actually have a part two. That's right. Uh, that's the first part. Um, isn't it amazing? It's like Dr. Lutzer, every word, every phrase is clear, but you want to 
you go, you want time. You wish you could absorb it. You could stop him every phrase and ask a question. Isn't that amazing? You could unpack almost any sentence he says and turn it into 10 more sentences, at least in my view. I want to know more yeah, what he's saying. Me too. And, and the thing that I, the comment that I made is true. His mind is so deep and so mm-hmm. fertile. It's like he's always on to the next thing. He's got, and I don't mean that in a bad way. He, his recall is amazing. Remember, he told us he, he's had a photographic memory. I don't know if he would say that yeah. right now, but close. Look at all the quotes he remembers, and all that's the way he is with, uh, with Bible passages. He yes. memorized long passages. It's just uh, amazing. What struck you? What's some one thing that in there really caught your attention? Well, I think his discussion of propaganda, because I think... What we're seeing today, unfortunately, in our own country, in our own government, is propaganda. I mean, from the tech platforms, the CDC, my old FBI, uh, watch a press conference with Corinne Jean-Pierre. You want to see propaganda. She stands there with that binder, and they have all the topics that they're going to be approached about. And they already have what I would call premeditated propaganda all ready to go, and you can't get her off the script. Uh, once in a while, she'll she'll slip, but boy, they she gets her marching orders. This is what you're going to tell the people, and this is what they're there to believe. You know, I I was just remembering Bruce something that when we were in, still in D.C. Do you remember when uh, that shooter went to the field in Alexandria, which is close to where we were living mm-hmm. in Virginia, and Republicans were practicing on the field for the baseball game which happens at the the big baseball center in dc every year and they were out there uh, uh, practicing and a shooter went out there with the purpose of killing them and he almost killed steve scalise and if not for an intervention i believe of some somebody who was on duty or off duty yeah there there were two police officers that were there yeah okay but my my point is this this is the thing that really torqued me even then and this has been what 10 years ago maybe oh yeah Yeah, so uh, the FBI agent in charge of that, you remember this, Mm -hmm. he gave a press conference, and I couldn't believe my ears because I knew it was all propaganda. They tried to present this guy as having mental illness. He had problems at home. They never mentioned that he was a Bernie Sanders supporter, that he went there. He actually asked in the parking lot, are those Republicans? Uh, he took, he, this was mur- attempted murder, and they treated it like it was uh, some everyday, you know, poor, crazy guy just out of control. Yeah, it actually was an attempted mass murder. He had in mind killing several of those Republican Congress people that were out there and uh, as you say, had it not been for the intervention of the police officers, he may very well have done that. And they made it sound, again, like you say, like it, it just was a coincidental thing. You know, this guy has problems. And he, it, it was kind of like wrong place, wrong time for the Republicans, not like they were being hunted, yeah. basically, by this person. And the point is propaganda, even then, the <laughs> FBI, we knew. We sniffed it out. We knew it. And we were very upset about that. But so it's been going on a long time here. And, of course, it's precursor is, uh, I would say, to make it simple, it goes back way to the garden where uh, the Satan tried to twist what happened with Eve and the apple. Did, did God really say? 
he didn't really mean that you couldn't eat from that tree. Did he really say that, you know? And then he tempts her to eat it. So it's a twisting. It's a perversion of truth. Well, that's a lot about what we talked about with Dr. Lutzer. I want to add one thing. When he talked about, um, we talked about socialism, and I made a comment about Russia at the time about uh, the equality of outcomes, The equality of outcomes uh, in Russia, you know, socialism is all about equality. And in Russia, when I spent some time there, and I did spend a lot of time in uh, two weeks, it was in Moscow, doing gathering interviews to do a broadcast from Radio Moscow. It's pretty dramatic situation. Uh, but the thing that I remembered was Dr. Lutzer said that socialism people don't get up early in the morning excited about going to work for the government. That's not how it works, and that's what I saw, Bruce. It was just chronic alcoholism, people uh, drunk everywhere in the streets. Uh, I know that potato farmers, potatoes a staple in Russia. Some countries it's rice and other things, but potatoes in Eastern Europe. And the potatoes were rotting in the field because no, none of the workers who got paid whether they worked or not wanted to go out in the field and do the work of pulling the to potatoes. It demotivates, it depresses it's a horrible thing, socialism and communism. And so I just want to underscore what he said on that. Well, uh, we have part two coming up with Dr. Lutzer, <laughs> the next podcast, and it's just as good as part, uh, you know, part one, I have to say, and uh, you will, you are going to enjoy it. So I hope that you will, well, you know, enjoy this, share it with your friends. Uh, so podcast eight will uh, also feature Dr. Erwin Lutzer. And this time he'll be talking about his new book, No Reason to Hide, Standing for Christ in a collapsing culture. But for now, uh, one last thing. Remember that you can call us if you have a question or comment at 662-821-2040. And by the way, thank you for, for call. Some of you have already done that. So we're going to be sharing your phone calls on the air in some future podcast here. 662-821-2040. If you have a comment, you can also write an email to sandy at afr.net. You can find us at Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Getter or Truth Social or YouTube. And you can, of course, hear the podcast at our home base, AFR.net. I might actually recommend that you download the app, which is AFR. AFR. Just download that app, and then you can listen anywhere you want, anytime. It makes it very, even overseas, day and night. It's really wonderful. Uh, but you could also listen to your favorite podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, or Amazon. So there you go. Thanks for listening, Bruce. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. And I can highly recommend to everyone, catch the next episode of Dr. Lucy. Oh, now that was a great tease. And you've never <laughs> done radio before. Okay, thank you, dear. All right. Thank you so much.